The words judge not are often quoted by people who resent being corrected for their wrongdoing. It is used in an attempt to make those who hold moral and biblical principles turn their heads while they partake in their sinful practices and sinful lifestyles. And that could be anything. Whether it is same-sex marriages that we just talked about a moment ago, whether it be abortion, drug use, or any other manner of sin in the world, the world is saying, don't judge. Let us live our lives in the manner that we please. In fact, what gives one person the right to judge another? And so the impression is that we should never make moral judgments in what we see in others, but we must ask ourselves tonight, is that true? Is that supported by Bible fact? Is that what Jesus meant when he said, when, when he said these words in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 1 through 6? Are we never to make moral judgments about right and wrong, even though right and wrong is with another? If we see wrong in others, can we point it out? I am persuaded tonight that the Lord's statement is often misused and that Jesus in fact taught that there are times when we must judge. There are times when it's appropriate to point out the faults that are in others. And so, the question, is it wrong to judge, is the question that's before you and I tonight. The proper answers do come from a closer look at the context and what Jesus meant in the meaning of those words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. But first of all, let's look about how these words are frequently misused. His words are often used to forbid all manner of judgment regardless of what it is. There are people today that say that you cannot give any criticism if criticism is negative or if criticism is unfavorable. Pointing out a fault in someone else, even if it to be truly constructive criticism, if it's negative, people say that we are not allowed to do that because Jesus said not to judge. Others say that we cannot exercise church discipline on any manner for any reason at all because church discipline would be judging negatively in a negative way. Also, notice this. When one exercises discipline of any sort, it requires judging the individual as to his moral or spiritual condition. And because such judgment is involved, some feel that verses 1 and 2 of our text rule out any sort of church discipline. Another example of people that say that we cannot judge is when they say you cannot expose anyone who would teach error. You know, admittedly, it requires making judgments in order to consider whether someone is teaching error. How in the world can we not use judgments in discerning if someone is teaching something that is true or someone that is teaching something that is false? Therefore, some people also, though, in light of verses 1 and 2, believe that we cannot speak out against those things and against those individuals who teach error. But we ask ourselves again tonight, is this really what Jesus was teaching? Must we remain silent when we see people overtaken in a fault? Must we remain silent and look the other way when we see one bringing reproach upon the good name of Jesus Christ? Should we say absolutely nothing when we see someone that is blatantly teaching that which is opposed to the teachings of the Bible, therefore teaching error? Well, in light of these questions, let me suggest the following. 
Number one, Jesus did not rule out all forms of judgment. That's the first thing we need to realize. He did not rule out all forms of judgment. Let me just say this, though. I meant to say this in, the, in my introduction. I'll say it now before we go any further. I am talking about, and I have mentioned to you, about people that are in the world, whether it's in the religious world or people that aren't religious people at all. I'm talking about people in society. They have come up with the idea of don't judge, and they use it in response to anyone who would stand for anything that goes against a choice that someone else has made. Okay? Now, we all know that. We all know that people say that. We all know that every, in a liberal society of people, that they're saying, uh, as long as you're not affecting me, go ahead and do whatever it is that you please. There is no right and wrong. We all have, have you heard this? We all have our own standard or our own moral code. Had somebody tell me that not long ago, saying this, it doesn't mean that you're right or I'm right or this one's right or that one's right because really we are all right because all of us have our own moral standard, our own moral code. Now we know that that exists in the world, don't we? It is all around us. It is prevalent in our society. Incidentally, how things have changed. You know, the Christian is not to be changed at all except for that which is good. And when we accept things that were wrong 15 years ago, you know, Brother Darren said something interesting years ago. It's a rather interesting uh, question, uh, as he was pointing out as we were discussing one day. But think about this. He said, were the things that we were against 15 and 20 years ago really wrong? Things that we didn't accept then, but we accept now. That's an interesting question. Were they not wrong then, therefore we can do them now? Or have they always been wrong, but we've become desensitized, and so therefore we've accepted it, and therefore we accept it now, but it's as wrong as it's ever been. Now, you could just take anything specifically and insert it there and uh, do with it as you please. My point is this, though. My point is that we have changed in our society. We have been desensitized to all manner of things, and we have begun to accept things now that we would have never accepted many years ago. We, would have, we wouldn't have tolerated it. We wouldn't have permitted it. But the world all along is saying, accept this person, accept that person, and so on, and do not judge, as they say to someone who would be a religious person standing or something they believe in. Said all that to say this. Guess what, folks? It's the first thing. It's the first thing that people want to say when they want to quit the church. That's what they want to say. They want to take the concept that I have painted as a negative picture. I have painted it in a negative vein. It is negative in any, every way. It is not biblically based. It is not Bible found. It is something that the world has used to support their actions and stand against people that would follow the Bible. And yet when the child of God, of all things, a, a person that has come from the waters of baptism, has lived their lives for a while and then turned their back on the Lord, that's what they want to say. Had it said to me just the other day. After all, Jesus said, don't judge. Is that what he said? Is that what he said? Can't stand for what's right. Jesus said, don't judge. Can't say things are wrong. Jesus said, don't judge. Is that what he said? 
Be careful that this all-accepting concept is not adopted by church members. Let's not allow that stuff that goes on as a worldly principle to funnel in among our ranks. We must always stand against things that are wrong. We must never accept the things that are wrong ever, regardless of what they are. Now then, Jesus did not rule out all forms of judgment with verses 1 and 2. And, and actually in this whole text. Note, first of all, in the immediate text. First of all, we must understand the scriptures in the context that they were written. Some base doctrines based on one verse here or one verse there. For example, regarding salvation. You can take a passage of scripture that talks about believe and people say that. That's all you got to do is believe. I'll pick that one. I'll choose that one. Like it's a choice, believe or baptism. And not that it's both as part of the plan of salvation. Now, we find that it reveals in Matthew chapter 7 some cases of proper judgment. Proper judgment must be made. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6, Jesus said, Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye the pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Notice, in understanding this verse, we find that it implies that a judgment is to be made, or how are we going to know who are the hogs, who are the dogs? How are we going to know? Jesus says these words. He says in verse 6, He says, Do not cast pearls before swine. Now, how are you going to know who the swine are without making a judgment? How are you going to know not to give a dog a holy thing if you don't know who the dogs are? You know how you know who the swine are and the dogs are? There's only one way. You have to make a judgment. Now, we're going to talk about the manner of judgment and the way we go about it in a minute, but that's really the point. Some people take these verses of Scripture and say, Jesus said, don't judge, point blank, end of story, no more to be said. But Jesus, right here in the passage that he gave these words, said that we have to discern between who are the swine and who are the, and who are the dogs. If no judgment is made, how are we going to know about giving things holy to dogs, who they might be? Or how can we know when not to cast our pearls before swine? I invite your attention to verse 15 of our text for just a moment. Beginning in verse 15, we'll read down through verse 20. Jesus, after saying what we've just said, said this, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly... They are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now, clearly, these words teach you and I, even today, that we must make judgments in determining who is a false teacher. Who are the ones that are considered a false teacher? By their fruits, 
you shall know them. You know, Shahe illustrated agriculture this morning. He talked about the vine and the branches. He talked about bearing fruit this morning. You know, I'm going to tell you something. My fruit is what I am. Because the fruit is the manifestation of what I am and what I do. And I'm not going to do something that I am not, not sincerely. And I'm going to tell you this too. Every single person in the world has fruit. It is either good fruit or it is bad fruit. If it's bad fruit, it is not acceptable. If it's good fruit, it is acceptable. And Jesus says, by their fruits, you shall know them. Interestingly, though, this could be a person, too, that's illustrated here. A person that, not, that could be saying all the right things, all manner of wonderful things. But their fruits prove out differently. We have to make judgments regarding that very thing. In the remote text, which speaks of times when judgment must be made, we find that, remember, one verse of Scripture must never be used to contradict another verse. If we think that we see a contradiction, it only proves a lack of understanding. That's all that it proves. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Keeping this in mind, John chapter 7 and verse 24, Jesus said, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. You know, Jesus is teaching that we should never judge things by how they appear on the surface, but that one should investigate the matter, compare it to the scriptures, and then make a judgment accordingly. Another place where a Christian must much judge is in the local church. Notice what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and this is really how it applies to the church as a whole and all of its members. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning there in verse 9, Paul said this, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of the world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, for then must ye needs go out into the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or idolater, or railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Notice, this is, a, this is a time when the church, in a local sense, must make a judgment. You know, in the very next chapter, in chapter 6, you know, one of the saddest things, and I have seen it in my lifetime, I have seen it. I have seen a brother go to law against a brother. How awful is that? Jesus basically, as I paraphrase, says, keep it in-house. Take care of these matters. As some preachers would say, don't air out your dirty linen to the world. The church needs to remain pure. The church needs to remain that the pillar, the light in society of all those that live in darkness that surround 
the church. Christians need to live our life in such a way that we're setting a proper example. I talked about that when I talked about the salt of the earth and the light of the world and all of that. We are to be seen, that's true, but not be seen in the courthouses going to law against a brother. You know what the Bible teaches us? The Bible teaches in matters among ourselves we must judge. Not that you can judge if you want to, but you must judge. Paul said in chapter 6 these words, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints? And so the word of God teaches us that we are in fact to judge those that are inside the local church and not bring those matters before the unjust of the world. Another place in the scriptures where judgment is necessary is found in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. When John, the apostle of love, by the way, said this, you know all the people that say love is all that matters? Accept everyone, love is all that matters. You know, I was talking with this with Bobby when we were walking in the door. She had uh, read some things on the internet. I hope I say this the way she told me because it's, it's rather, well, it's rather funny to me. But she said that we're reading some stuff about Proposition 8. And somebody said that was supporting that type of lifestyle, that sort of arrangement, said, with love there is no sin or there is no sin with love. In other words, as long as there is love, there's nothing wrong with anything. Now think about it. Love and sin are opposite things. Love is a command that the Bible tells us we must have. Now we know about different kinds of love. I love all over my family. That is easy to do. That is, naturally, that, that is a natural emotion. That is a natural thing that I feel is love for my family. But love is a command, agape love, not necessarily phileo, agape love, which is telling me that i got to love those that really are not lovable. A command. It is 100% diametrically opposite to sin. To sin. Because the greatest thing that we love is the Lord. And the greatest thing that we love is the truth. We must love those things above everything in our life. But the Bible says this in 1 John 4 and 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit. This is the apostle of love, by the way. He says, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now, in light of these passages of Scripture, we still must understand there's no contradiction. As we continue with our text back in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus actually defined the type of judging that was being condemned. Number one, judging when one is blind to his or her own faults. I'm going to tell you something, folks. We need to be careful about that one because we all fall short sometimes with that one. In other words, I am going to point out the fault in someone else. But what do we do sometimes? Many times we garnish our own traits, and at the very same time, we tarnish the traits of others. We need to be very careful. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that the type of, of judging that's wrong is, because judging in itself is not wrong. In fact, on circ in circumstances, in places, and all of that, we not only 
uh, can judge, but we must judge. So what's the wrong kind of judging? Number one, Jesus says, the first thing is, it's wrong to judge when you're blind to your own faults at the same time and refuse to take care of those things first. I don't know that anyone has ever lived, ever, that's not been guilty of that. Little kids, he did it. Not my fault. I had nothing to do with it. Not accepting fault. It starts when they're, it starts when they're very young. No doubt Jesus pointed this out because this is a very easy one to fall into its trap. I want to go straighten out old Shahe. And I got a few things I want to talk to him about. Okay? I got all kinds of problems too, but I can't see them. I'm blind to those. Man, I can see clear about his though. Now picture it this way. If I have an arrogant heart to the extent that I feel like I don't have any faults and I can come to him in a condescending manner. Now, the Bible does say I have to go to him, okay, if he's got that speck. Back to that in a minute, though. What's wrong is when I go to him blind of my own problems when my problems are far more glaring than his, or even equally so. It's wrong to judge when you still got to clean up your own backyard. When there are things that you have to take care of. When there are things that I have to straighten up. How many times has somebody said, if we say, if, let me paint this picture. This person here goes to talk to this person about this person's activities and things that they're doing. Okay? And then this person turns back and says, yeah, what about you? And then starts to list off the things that they're doing wrong. It's just like that. Now, that's why we really have to be the light. That's why we really have to clear out the eye. That's why we've got to do all these things so that we can be instrumental in talking to that person so that person cannot turn and respond and say, well, what about you? Let's talk about all your problems. You hardly ever come to services either. Stay out of my backyard. You see what I mean? We have to be careful with our own backyard. Let's not garnish our own traits and tarnish the traits of another. This is like when Paul taught the necessity of proper introspection when helping others. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault. Now wait a minute. Somebody just told me the other day, don't judge. Don't judge. A Christian. Let me read that again. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, do nothing and don't judge. Sit back and let it go by. Don't worry about it. Accept everybody for who they are. No. It says, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one, how? In the spirit of meekness, doing what? Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. 
We can't have in these cases the idea that it could never, ever, ever happen to me. I'm going to tell you something, folks. If you go to somebody with the attitude in the heart that it could never happen to me, shame on him, but I'm going to get him right. Oh, that's the wrongful attitude, and that goes against what Paul said. That goes against what Jesus said, too. You know what happens when we don't take an introspective view of ourselves? And then we all of a sudden have the attitude, we have the attitude or the heart that it could never happen to us. How many times have you heard a Christian talk about somebody else that made a mistake and say, I can't believe, I'm so ashamed of him. I can't believe he did that. I would never do that. Years ago, I had made the statement about Bob, I, we were talking about, I don't remember what it was all about, but I said, I said, uh, you'll never fail, you'll never fall. He said, anyone can fall. And I said, no, I'm not gonna let you. It was kind of a, kind of a little joke. Also extending kindness, loving my brother. Here's the point, it can happen to anybody. And when you go that are spiritual to restore such an one, oh, be very careful. Do so with the spirit of meekness and consider thyself lest thou also be tempted. If you got the attitude, it could never happen to you. You know what you are? You're the Pharisee standing there with the publican over there. And all he's thinking about is all the rotten things that not only this publican, but the entire world does. I'm so glad I'm not that guy. Jesus said, humble yourself to be exalted. Don't exalt yourself. The Bible says you'll be abased. Humble yourself in all that we do. Take the proper introspection first. Second thing Jesus said, this is another thing that's condemned. Not judging now. The first thing we just noticed is judging without taking a look at yourself. Second thing. Jesus said is to judge without mercy and without love. The Lord here is condemning this, judging too harshly. Two, judging self-righteously. Three, judging without mercy. And four, judging without love. Notice a parallel passage as found in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 36, where Jesus says, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. James also, you remember, warned against making judgments without mercy. In James 2 and 13, James said, For he shall have, for, uh, for he shall have judgment without mercy, that he has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. I don't know about you. But wouldn't it be awful? Wouldn't it be the worst thing? Isn't it true that the harder you try, the harder you really try to put the Lord first in your life and live the Christian life, isn't it true that the older you get and the harder you try, the more you see the reality of your frailties and your shortcomings? Listen, folks, when we're young, that's, that's when we're invincible. Oh, but we get a clearer picture the older we get. Oh, far more clear. 
you know, like, like that song says, I think I've told you, that modern country song that I know so much more now than I did back when I knew it all. Isn't that true? You know, I'll tell you something. I can't fathom standing before my maker and having it put back to me the manner in which I judged another. Because that's what I'm going to get. What I'm getting is what I gave. What I'm going to get is what I gave. And if what I gave was no mercy, no love, no compassion, I didn't take a look at myself and consider myself. I stood in a condescending fashion looking down on my brother. I acted like it could never happen to me. What's the matter with you? I acted like that, and that's the way that I cast judgment. That's the way that I pass judgment. Guess what, folks? If I don't fix that before I die, that's what I'm going to get. And can you imagine standing before the Lord realizing our frailties, the fact that we make mistakes, the fact that we're not perfect, and have Jesus, the righteous judge, give us no mercy too? I'm going to tell you something, folks. Without mercy and grace, where none of us are getting in. None of us are getting in. You know, it's true about works. We have to work or we're lost. We don't merit or warrant our salvation, meritorial works, but we have works of obedience. That's all true. But make no mistake, we fall from grace when we go against what the Word of God teaches. We fall from grace when we sin, but it's grace that's going to save us. Unmerited favor, something you didn't earn and neither did I. And the only reason, the only way that I can have it, the only way that I can have that kind of grace is to obey Him. And the only way that I'm going to find mercy on that day is if I extended mercy in my judgments too when I lived in this life. Oh, can you imagine not having the mercy of God? Jesus said in verse 2, back to our text, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you again. And so the lesson so far is not that we should never judge, but when we do judge, remember that we shall be judged by the same standards that we use. And that being the case, we must let love and mercy temper our judgments. But finally, Jesus implies that there are times when we must, must make judgments. And the first thing that we do, we must make judgments when we have corrected or after we have corrected our own faults. When we first remove the beam from our own eye. When we have done this, we are going to be able, Jesus says, you'll be able to see clearly the speck that is in thy brother's eye. That is one of the most misunderstood passages of Scripture of all that Jesus taught there. I've heard people say, look, what he's saying is, we all got beams and we all got specks. We all got things in between. So here's the thing. I'll just keep my beam don't leave, and you leave me alone, and I'll leave you alone with your speck. In other words, don't judge we all got problems. That's not what he said. That's not what he said at all. What he said is, he says, don't go and try to make judgments before you have taken an introspective view of yourself, Galatians 6 and 1, as Paul pointed out clearly, what did he say? He says, if you got a beam, you got a log in your eye. In other words, you got a big problem. You got a big thing in your life you got to fix. He says, get rid of that first. 
He says, take care of that first. Why? Why? One reason. When must we judge? When we've removed our beams. To do what? So that we might see clearly to do what? Help your brother get the speck out of his eye. I have to do that. In other words, that's not just something that I can do or it's permissible for me to do. It's something I must do. I got to get the beam out so that, in other words, I, I have to remove that because, listen, if I got a beam, I'm in trouble. If my brother has a speck, we're talking about sinful things, he's got trouble. Okay? We got to get rid of the trouble. Jesus says, don't go to him before you get the beam out. Get the beam out first so you can see clearly to help your brother with his speck. We must do that. We must help those that have been overtaken in a fault. You know, the saddest thing is when somebody who has once been enlightened by the gospel turns back. You know, this morning was read a passage of scripture. When there was a time when Jesus was preaching some things and even some of those that considered themselves disciples or followers of Jesus, even those that considered themselves a follower, and I'm not talking about people that just heard him for the first time and said, ah, I'm not, I'm not buying any of that. It says that the disciples, there were disciples, there were men that had followed him before that day. But when he spoke the words that he spoke, it was too much that they could bear, and they just said, no, it's too much. They no longer followed the Lord. I'm going to tell you something, folks. That's the greatest mistake that they ever made. That's the greatest mistake that you or I will ever make. But I love the response when Jesus, and you can just picture the scene. Can you just imagine how heartsick Jesus must have felt? The Lamb of God going to die for the sins of the world. Going to die for their sins. Watching them walk away and then turn back to his disciples and say to them also, Will you also go away? Can't you just hear the tone in his voice? What about you? You going to... But then the response, to whom shall we go? For thou hast the words of eternal life. Folks, I'm here to tell you this. We do everything we can, but don't grow discouraged when you turn from one side to the other and you see that there are people no longer following the Lord. It has always been that way. Now, it's always been just as sad. It's awful. Just consider yourself now. Go get, live the life that, you need, that we need to live. Let's go get them. Let's go try to restore them back. Let's go get them. Back, Paul says, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore them. Do all you can. Just don't grow discouraged if you see people that are quitting their walk with the Lord and stopping following the Lord. It's always been that there are people that chose to do so. Just don't let it get you down. And you quit. Because the Lord's saying, what about you? 
Every time somebody says, I'm not following the Lord anymore. You know what? When you're considering that, the Lord's saying to you, as it were, what about you? What about you? Especially if it's a loved one. Oh, it isn't that hard. A family member quits. The Lord is asking, what about you? Will you also go? Let's respond by saying, where am I going? To whom shall I follow now? Whom shall I go? For thou hast the words of eternal life. Well, as we read already, we need to read again. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Again, Jesus said that we must judge between those that are worthy and those that are hogs and those that are dogs. Also in verse 6 back in our text, Jesus says, Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye pearls before swine, lest they trample them under feet and turn again and rend you. Simply put, there are those that are not worthy. Jesus said that. There are those that are not worthy. How are we going to know? Making a judgment. That's how we're going to know. You can't know unless you make a judgment. Now, the Bible clearly states how we do that. What kind of ju- we determining who is which requires judgment on our part. With those who are receptive to the gospel, we are to be long-suffering and trying to help them. Come out of error, come out of their error. Quickly, 2 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, patient, meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. But for those that are not receptive, there comes a time when we stop wasting time and we don't give dogs holy things and cast pearls before swine. We need to make a judgment on that part. We judge not according to the appearance. We've already, already read that. Judge not about how things appear, but judge righteous judgment. The only way I can do that is to compare it with this. If somebody is doing something that is opposite to this, I can lay open the pages of divine inspiration and compare that activity. And if it's wrong, I can make a judgment on that. If somebody's teaching error and it's compared to this, the perfect law of liberty... I can make a judgment about that. I'm going to tell you something else, folks. There's a difference between someone who just needs a little more information and someone that is a dog or a hog. There's a difference. There's a difference between someone who really could be receptive, may be receptive later, maybe a little receptive. Maybe you planted the seed. Maybe down the road, maybe down the road the harvest is going to come. There's a difference between somebody like that who just needs more of our attention. 
and more of our teaching and more of our preaching. There's a difference between that. It's kind of like this in sales. In sales, you have some people that they're saying no, but what they're really saying is they're not really rejecting it completely or rejecting you. They're saying no because they've not received enough information yet to realize that they need to have it. Because once they realize they need to have it, then they're going to want to have it. That's a good receptive uh, lead there. That's a good prospect. Sometimes they say no a whole lot of times. In fact, people say no more than they say yes. I'm talking about those that buy. That's true. When I was in sales, very few times, very small percentage of the time that I give a presentation, they go, yeah, okay, I'm in. No, it took more. It took changing differently. It took showing them more value. It took a lot of that. The gospel is the same way. It takes time. It takes effort. But we need to judge those, though, that are not worthy, those that are not interested, those that want nothing to do with the Lord. In Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 12, and I'm almost finished. To sum up what I just said, the words of Jesus, and when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of the house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Remember an example of this in Acts 13 and verse 46 where it says, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be first have been spoken to you, but seeing you have put it from you and, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. And I'll tell you something, folks, when people reject the gospel, there comes a time when we move on. And we have to make a judgment when that time is. Not long ago, there was someone that had, this was a young college student, gonna be a lawyer one day, I guess, so he says. And he had written some things about criticizing the church of Christ and criticizing the Lord's church, criticizing Christianity, criticizing all manner of things like that. And uh, considered us as like robots and Nazis and all manner of things. And you know, I felt compelled to respond in defense of the church, a one-time defense, defending the church in the good name of our Lord. You know, the bottom line is this. When somebody like that rejects God, rejects the Bible, rejects the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior, was all part of it, rejects obedience in any way or structure in religion in any way, shape, or form, folks, dust your feet off and move on. Make the judgment. Why? Because he judged himself unworthy. Because he was not receptive to the truth. That's different than somebody that just needs more information, more study, and more sermons, more care on our part. How are we going to know who they are? 
by making judgments, not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Is it wrong to judge? No. The manner in which we judge is in question, certainly. But folks, we must stand for what's right. We must stand for what's right and judge things that are wrong outside of the church and things that are wrong among God's people too. But consider yourself and get the beam out so we can help everyone, help each other get to heaven one day. I'm finished tonight. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.